cowpats and bee stings. Or it should never happen to a missionary, but it did. By Vic Edwards. The Hillerman and Papiani line, in which I sailed as a navigating officer, rarely veered from the comfortable run between the UK and the Mediterranean. But in the late 50s, there blew up one of a series of Middle East skirmishes that closed the Suez Canal. So we found ourselves co-opted to take a cargo around the Cape of Good Hope and across the Indian Ocean to Bombay. My memory of the outward trip is of sunny days cooled by light breezes and nights like sequined velvet reflected in a phosphorescent sea. Just one incident jars the idyllic vision. After a fueling stop at Mozambique, we were on a steady course across the Indian Ocean heading for Bombay. As third mate, I was in sole command of the bridge at about 11 o'clock at night when the engineer on duty phoned to advise me that he was about to blow tubes. This operation involved blasting air through the exhaust system to clear out the black residue. To prevent the fallout covering the ship astern of the smokestack, it was standard practice to alter course so that the wind would carry it to one side or the other. For several days, we had been heading into a heavy swell. The ship pitched into it like a rocking horse. Even after many years at sea, I never fully adapted to the nautical movement. Starboard easy! Starboard easy! echoed the helmsman. Steady as she goes! The helmsman eased the wheel back as we held our new course. I noticed the change in the motion. The swell was pressing upon us on the beam, and we began to roll gently. Suddenly, a crest of mountainous proportions bore down upon us. The ship slipped into the trough, and she seemed to lie cowering on her side, waiting for the next thrust. Furniture and implements were hurled across the wheelhouse, as similar reports of destruction sounded from the lower decks. Hard to port! I yelled. The helmsman braced himself against the flag locker as he pulled hand over hand at the spokes of the wheel. Slowly the bow turned to face the swell. With a shudder like a wet dog, she came upright. Get her on course! Aye, aye, sir! The rocking motion began again. Although I breathed a sigh of relief, my heart still pounded. I thought of all those ships reported lost without trace. In such a situation, prayer becomes very meaningful. From then on, the standing order was annulled. As the mate expressed it, Better a mucky stern than a watery grave. As we anchored off the port of Bombay, awaiting the pilot, my first impression of India was of a great sprawl of nondescript buildings, occasionally pierced by a minaret, and those strange towers of silence on which the Pharisees placed their dead to be consumed by the scavenging vultures. The sultry offshore breeze carried an aroma of sewage and curry. Following my custom, I prayed that I might meet up with some fellow Christians. Putting feet to my prayers, I inquired of the seaman's mission for an evangelical church. The chaplain did not seem overly impressed. He received me holding a bath towel around his ample midriff. Having rattled off a list of churches of various denominations, he brusquely advised, Go to the Scots Kirk, they've got air conditioning. From this catalogue of religious establishments, I gleaned the name of one that sounded promising, 
So on Sunday night, I hailed a dilapidated taxi whose driver assured me that he knew the church well. Yes, I, I, I go very quick, uh, very safe to the Methodist church. Please get inside with confidence. He hadn't made much progress before I realized that confidence was the element that I lacked. I vainly strived to find a firm handhold as we swerved and careered through the streets, with the horn blaring a warning of our advance. On we charged, taking the tail hairs of sacred cows and causing irate pedestrians to leap towards the pavement. What looked like the Methodist church disappeared into the background, and still we hurtled on. Finally we arrived at the cobble square, where the vehicle coughed to a screeching halt. The driver leapt out and swung my door open. With a toothy smile, very good, Saib, that will be, naming an enormous amount of rupees. My burning desire to express my not very Christian opinion of my near executioner was assuaged by several others of his breed, taking an unhealthy interest in the proceedings. It was my health, so I quickly paid. I had been conned. Where was God's guidance and protection now? On the other side of the square, I noticed a red brick building with a low spire and an open door. Petulant determination drove me on. I don't know what that place is, but if it's a church, I'm going. And in I went. A smiling young Indian shook my hand as I crossed the threshold. He gave me a hymn book and ushered me to a pew. We were well into the first hymn before the smog of wrath drifted away, and I realized that I was singing, Oh, happy day that fixed my choice. Would you believe it? That rogue of a taxi driver had brought me to where God alone knew that I needed to be. I suppressed a chuckle. The rest of the congregation might not appreciate the joke. This was my introduction to the Calaba Causeway Baptist Church. After the service, the man at the door took my arm and led me towards a fair-haired, tall, gangly gentleman who gave me a welcome smile and a firm handshake. This was the missionary, Pastor Jake Johnson. Where are you from? he inquired. Uh, Liverpool, England. Oh, yeah, we stopped over in Liverpool on our way from Canada. Would you happen to know anybody in the Liverpool Youth for Christ Choir? Oh, certainly I do. I sing in the YFC Choir when I'm home. You don't say. Then you must know Ron Jones, the choir director. We stayed at his home. We did a gasp of mutual recognition as two pennies dropped. We had eaten at the same supper table as guests of Ron and Nell Jones. I vaguely remember that the Johnsons were missionaries who were going to India, but I don't think that even they knew where they were going to be posted. The odds on my meeting them in a city of over seven million people were as long as to be impossible apart from a miracle. But as I've said, God did go to a lot of trouble to get my attention. Hey, can you make it on Tuesday night? Jake asked. I've got permission to have an open-air meeting, and I need all the help I can get. I was able to get Tuesday evening off to join Jake and company. I was no stranger to open-air preaching, but this was more than I had bargained for. Apparitions dripping with slime dragged themselves out of the fetid mud on the foreshore. Hindu holy men, I was assured. A native band celebrating a wedding added to the surrealistic circus atmosphere, and there we were, on the sweeping curve of Kuf Parade, the Bombay Promenade, telling people that Jesus loved them, and our crowd was growing. Besides Jake and myself, there was Paul, an Indian Christian who spoke Hindi, and Thomas, who spoke Urdu. 
The crowd, consisting entirely of men, pressed in upon us. Their attention was total until the diminutive khaki-clad form of a police constable pushed its way to the front. You must stop at once, he ordered. But we have official permission, countered Jake, producing a sweat-soaked piece of paper from his back pocket, bearing the stamp of the chief of police. After carefully scrutinizing the damp document, the policeman shook his head. You must cease the proceedings. This gives you the right to hold a public meeting, but not to block the road and hold up the traffic. Voices were raised in protest. Put the order in writing, someone insisted. Drawing himself up to his full five foot three and twirling the ends of his drooping moustache in agitation, the officer took out his notebook and proceeded to write in precise English. That's no use, someone shouted. Write it in Hindi. To my amazement, he succumbed to the demand, translating the order into a flowing oriental script. The argument attracted still more people. The crowd was developing into a heaving crush. An old man with a face like a moldy dried fig topped with a grubby turban, his emaciated body swathed in a white sheet, waved his umbrella as he emphasized some point in the argument. It's all right, he's on our side, I was assured. He is telling the policeman to leave us alone because we are men of God. By this time, the crowd and the shouting had increased beyond all hope of control. Remembering all the reports I had heard about the Indian propensity to riot, I contemplated martyrdom, but without enthusiasm. I desperately suggested that we retreat to the beach. The policeman, who by this time was completely out of control of the situation, was glad to concede to the suggestion and hastily withdrew. Our ancient Hindu ally sat on a rock, sticking out of the sand as if to chair the meeting, leaning on his umbrella as his staff of office. The erstwhile riotous mob spread out along the rail of the promenade and gave their rapt attention to what we had to say about our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To close the proceedings, Gospels of John in six different languages were offered for sale. My reservation about selling was assuaged by the explanation that in this culture what came free was of doubtful value. Eager hands stretched out to exchange grubby notes for a gospel booklet until they were almost sold out. As our ship sailed out of Bombay and headed north towards Karachi, Pakistan, I could only think of all those who were so eager to hear when there were so few to tell them. I had often prayed, Lord, send out workers. That night God answered prayer. I felt the divine tap on my shoulder. Listen to me, obey me, go. And suddenly there was nothing else worth doing in life but to be a missionary. So I went, but not to India, God knows I can't stand curry, but to Argentina. This, of course, was not an immediate transition. I recognized that I needed some theological training, and to this end I inquired of just about every Bible college in Britain. But once again, God had it all worked out and I was directed to the last place that I would have chosen, but the place with which I was most familiar. On a subsequent trip, back sailing in the Mediterranean, we called in at Genoa in northern Italy. While exploring the city, the reputed birthplace of Christopher Columbus, I came across a Christian bookstore. Through this chance visit, I was introduced to a young missionary couple who invited me to their home. Carl was from the Bronx, New York while his wife, Val, hailed from Toronto, Canada. Over supper, they quizzed me about my experience as a Christian and as a merchant navy officer. As most people, they had the mythical picture of the drunken sailor. 
I was glad to assure them that the seafarer was hardly worse than his landlocked cousin, where vices and morals were concerned. But I was just thinking, said Carl, as you've travelled all over the world, you must have met plenty of missionaries. Have you ever felt a call to be a missionary yourself? Uh, as a matter of fact, I do feel a call to mission, I replied. Fantastic! What are you planning to do about it? Well, next year I'll be going to Bible college. You don't say! And which college are you going to? You won't have heard of it. It's just a small establishment in my hometown called Emmanuel Bible College. Instead of the shrug of ignorance that I anticipated, Chris's face lit up with a grin as he turned to Val and in broad bronx said, Sure, we know Emmanuel Bible College, honey. That's the place where the fellas can't speak to the goyles. I was amazed at Emmanuel's unlikely fame until they explained that the wife of the president of their missionary society was an EBC graduate. Yes, it was true. Emmanuel had a strict intergender non-fraternization rule. How so many couples announced their engagement so soon after graduating remains a mystery. My two years survival training at Emmanuel, with its 5.30 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. regime, was designed to teach discipline and endurance, with a dash of holiness theology and related subjects thrown in as an afterthought. Whatever its shortcomings, it had turned out some notable missionary pioneers and leaders over more than 40 years' history. The joke that if you could survive Emmanuel, you could survive anything, came very near to the truth. Please contact us via the Flame website if you want to obtain a copy of Vic Edwards' book, Cowpats and Bee Stings. Well, it really did happen to a missionary. Cowpats and Bee Stings Or it should never happen to a missionary, but it did by Vic Edwards. <laughs>